always mindful that what? After the party, there is cleanup. How many of you grew up with that uh, little song as a kid? Clean up, clean up, everybody do their share. Clean up, clean up, right? Well, what was the aftermath of Easter? Was it a a dirty job? We were house-sitting our son and daughter-in-law's dog this week, and so there was an aftermath in our yard. (laughs) And I got myself a new mower, and I'm planning on mowing tomorrow, but the kids went out and cleaned up the aftermath of uh, having the dog over for a week, right? But um, I I don't want us to think in terms of the bad, because we all know what that's like. you got to clean up the aftermath. But think in terms of the aftermath as it relates to a huge win, a huge celebration, a huge victory in your life? What was the aftermath of something big? And how did it change your life from there? When you win the Super Bowl, and you're like maybe the MVP of the Super Bowl, the aftermath is a trajectory change in your life. Maybe for that city, the celebration, the gathering, the unity of it, whatever it might be for that individual, What was the aftermath of Jesus being raised from the dead? Now, the reason I'm parking here is strategic. We've been in a series in 1 Peter, written by Peter. Peter was an apostle of Jesus. And for us to step back into that study, which we're going to do more concertedly next week, I think coming off of Easter, it's valuable to realize the aftermath of what happened in Peter's life and the other disciples because that aftermath is what should be happening in our life. So we have a unique Sunday here on the heels of Easter hangover, if you will, to be able to focus on the life of Peter and why Peter would have written what he wrote and If you remember when we stepped into the letter to First Peter, we um, highlighted that the, the, the whole trajectory of that letter springs from verse 3. It says this, praise be to God. This is Peter, right? Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, exclamation point. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last times. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So when we slip back into our study in the letter of 1 Peter next week, it's a study of a letter that Peter, aftermath of Easter, wrote to individuals who were still struggling and challenging and suffering. But what was his main theme that he carried with him? The main theme he carried with him was praise and worship and rejoicing, understanding incredible mercy that has come from God, that we can be born anew, born again. Our lives can change, and we are born not just into some nice status with culture and society. We are born into a living hope, and that living hope is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You would not have First Peter as a letter to study if it was not for the resurrection. In fact, you would not be seated here today. You would not know Peter, the apostle. There would not be any Peter's Basilica in Rome. The aftermath of Easter changed a lot of things. Does the aftermath of Easter, one week out, have an impact on your life today? So, that's where I want to focus, and I want us to be encouraged because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is potent, potent in its longevity as well as in the moment that it happened. And so the power of the resurrection is as if it happened again today. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now, you may have had an aftermath of a week that wasn't very good. In fact, you go, oh yeah, last week was Easter. That was sort of good, but I'm very discouraged this week. Well, the power of the resurrection that we celebrated last week, that power is still available to you today to change the trajectory of your life and your situations and bring you hope and encouragement as surely as not just last week, but as 2,000 years ago when the followers of Jesus were astonished astonished at what happened. Now, I don't know about you, but I try to climb into the New Testament world and think through, think through what really would have been the aftermath of those moments. And I have four words for you today. And these four words are not only the aftermath of what happened at Easter. These are four words for you this morning. And as always, sometimes I get accused of using bigger words than necessary. So I'm going to use some bigger words, and then I'm going to just give you the phrases for them. Then we're going to come back and walk through each of them. So you ready? In the aftermath, the cleanup work, it was not bad. It was good. Well, it was good if you were a follower of God and you wanted to be a follower of Jesus. I'm not so sure that the Roman guards who guarded the tomb, the aftermath of Easter Sunday morning was not good for them. Word number one is this. Illumination. Illumination, and so let me just put the phrase to you. Open your eyes. Right? Open your eyes. There were blinders on related to ultimate reality. But when the grave was empty... And Jesus made his appearances, and he began to teach with the authority, renewed authority he had, looking towards the future. Everything changed as far as it relates to a worldview. Jesus was alive. Illumination. Open your eyes. So maybe there's some open-your-eye kind of activity that needs to be happening in your life right now because you've become myopic. You've got the blinders on. You're like a horse. Just stay and prod down. Next step, next step, right? Open your eyes. See past that maybe which is immediately in front of you or surrounding you in your circumstances and see what God's doing at work. So illumination. The second word is restoration. Get healed up. 
There are some powerful things, and we're going to look at it today in this particular area of restoration of being healed. Because there was brokenness that was going on, but the power of the resurrection. My friends, there is not any illness or disease here amongst you or with your friends or family members that a resurrection cannot cure. The resurrection happened, so even if it's an illness unto death, it can't touch the resurrection. There is new life, so there's restoration, and that's not just with the physical body, but with the emotional being, with the mental capacities of us. There is healing in the power of the resurrection. And healing comes also from his stripes by which he was ripped open and crucified. We are healed. By his stripes we are healed, it says in Isaiah. So there's illumination and there's restoration. Open your eyes, all right? Get healed up. Number three is transformation. Make a big change. Make a difference. Make it happen in your personal life and in the lives of people around you in your world. Transformation is possible because there is power and hope in the aftermath of the resurrection Easter Sunday morning. And then the fourth word is proclamation. Proclamation, I just put this phrase to it, can I get a witness? Can I get a witness about what's happening can I get a witness about ultimate reality? Can I get a witness about Jesus really being God himself, raised from the dead? Can I get a witness about the hope of the gospel of the kingdom that he proclaimed? I love this song, and the team did great this morning. Let God arise. I think we'll come back to that at the end because there's just some strength to that because there is good news to share that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. And so what happened, the aftermath of Easter was proclamation, and it's the reason you and I are here today, passed down through the generations, the witness of the resurrection of Jesus. And that can apply to your personal life in a very important way, not just for your own transformation, but for your purpose and your destiny with what God's called you to. So those are the four words. Illumination, restoration, transformation proclamation aren't those nice big words they all just sort of flow together if i was in a teaching environment more than a preaching environment you go oh, let me take notes on that that's good that's good i don't want this to be a flat kind of encouragement to you i want it to be a dynamic kind of encouragement because he is alive and because he's alive you have a living hope for these things now, why did Peter say it was a living hope? Real simple, because there's a living Savior. There's someone who is active. I don't know if you've ever been to countries that uh, maybe they're more animistic, maybe uh, a country like India, which I've been to a couple times, and oh my goodness, the, the proliferation of, of gods and idols, right? Maybe it's some type of nuance of a teaching, you know, like Buddha was not, you know, hey, don't worry about remembering me, just remember my teachings or something like that. And, you know, in Islam, Islam, uh, there Muhammad was the great prophet, right? But Muhammad died. Muhammad did not raise from the grave kind of thing. And so it's all about doing the prayers and the routines, those kinds of things. Those kinds of religions are not a living hope because they do not have a living Savior. You have a living Savior if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just sort of checking God out, then I got really good news because this life of being a Christ follower is one that's dynamic and alive. It's happening. There is a living hope not a dead orthodoxy. And a lot of religion comes down to dead orthodoxy, dead rules, legalistic rules. In fact, I've seen Christians take the Christian living hope and make it about a bunch of rules. It's like, well, why do I want to become a Christian? You have to do this and not do that, and I have to wear a straight jacket, and I have to attend here and stay away from those places. It's all about rules, rules, rules. The Christian faith was never about the rules. The Christian faith was about a living hope. I've seen 
I've seen. My eyes were illuminated. I now see clearly. And man, I've been getting healed up because he's, he's not only the resurrected Savior, but he's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And he's been healing and changing my life from its brokenness. And that transformation stuff, I'm not, I'm not the person I used to be. Because of this path, I've been journeying with the one who is alive, just like those disciples did. And this path is changing my life. Maybe incrementally, maybe you don't see it now, but boy, you look back a year or two years ago like, wow, I'm a different person. And now you got a purpose. i got a witness. i, I got a witness not to go out and beat people over the head with more rules and regulations and dead orthodoxy and religion. No, I've, I've got a witness. I, I've seen him, and he's making an impact in my life. And so these words, illumination, restoration, transformation, and proclamation are words that not only describe the aftermath of what happened at Easter 2,000 years ago, they should be definitive activity that's ongoing in your life and in mine. I... uh, I'm challenged a lot of times, even as a pastor of 35, 38, I don't know how many years now, to make sure that I stay in a good place spiritually, that I stay in a good place emotionally. I stay in a good place mentally. I need to. And you know what I do? I come back to that first part of the letter that Peter wrote. That changed his life. And I have to remind myself of the living hope that I have a Savior. I mentioned it last week, the song, He Walks With Me and He Talks With Me and He Tells Me I Am His Own. Somebody said afterwards, says, You needed to go on the rest of that. It's because He lives. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because He lives, I know He holds the future. Have you come back again and again and again this week in the midst of your challenges to reckon with the living hope? You have a Savior who's alive, and he's active in your life and in the lives of others, and he, believe it or not, contrary to the news that you see, he is in control of what's happening in this world. As fallen and broken, as sinful as it is, and Satan's still roaming like a roaring lion, and he's roaring, isn't he? God's will will be done. He is patient. He is kind. He desires that all would be saved. And maybe he's calling you to himself again today. Or maybe he's calling him, you to himself for the very first time. I want to look at the life of Peter a little bit. Do you know much about Peter? You see, Peter was a common, ordinary laborer. Now, when God picked Paul and Jesus appeared to Paul post-resurrection, the resurrected Savior, the aftermath of Easter is recorded with Paul. Paul was one of these very religious people, but he was well-educated. He was very articulate. He was known in the culture at the times. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Roman citizen. There was a lot of great, incredible things. Like, I'll pick Paul. He's, he's, a, he's a high draft pick. The, the NFL draft is this week. You know, he'd, he'd be right up there in that upper tier. But Peter, I don't even know if Peter would go in the seventh round. He would probably have fallen into the, you know, type of, well, you can show up at camp and give it a try if you want kind of player. You see, Jesus, he picks Peter, I think a lot of times, so all of us can identify with him. He was a fisherman, right? Just common, ordinary fisherman out on the water. And, and, and Jesus, you know, he got that story there where he calls him in off the water because uh, they're, they're fishing and they're not getting anything. He says, cast your nets on the other side. They get a bunch. They come. And, and the words to Peter are just simply, hey, follow me. Now, he was a religious, very good Jewish kind of person. So it's like, okay. But Peter starts to check Jesus out and follow him around. But he's scratching his head and wondering, and he's sort of bombastic sometimes and says things he shouldn't say and does things he shouldn't probably do. He's the kind of character that you sort of watch through the Gospels and you go, 
he's a goofball. Or he's, he's a case. Or he needs some work. He's like me. And Jesus takes Peter's life and radically turns it around. I mean, he didn't tell him, and I made mention of it earlier, he didn't tell him, hey, I'm going to uh, change radically your life, and you're going to have this tomb in Rome that's going to be incredible. And they're going to call it St. Peter's Basilica. Yeah, he had no vision of that, right? But he took Peter, and Peter began to follow him. And Peter was trying to figure this whole Messiah thing out all along the way, right? And the belief was that uh, Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, Peter, you know, sort of the height of Peter's career with Jesus is when Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter said, I got it. Uh-uh. Pick me. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're him. And Jesus says, Good answer. Now keep quiet about that because my time's not here. But then Jesus starts to talk about his death. And Peter's like, whoa, this ain't right. And so Peter rebukes Jesus. Can you comprehend that? It was just Jesus to him. And he's trying to figure, But we now know Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God himself. Peter rebuked God to his face. That's bold, isn't it? But some of us, if we're to be honest, we've not maybe rebuked God, but we've cried out in anger to God or frustration with God or maybe disbelief, God, where are you? But Peter, we can identify with, with his rawness. And here he was, you are the Messiah, He gets rebuked by Jesus, and then they start heading through Passion Week. As they head through Passion Week, Peter's also baffled when Jesus starts to wash their feet at the Last Supper, as we know it today. And he's like, oh, no, I don't need you to wash my feet. And he says, well, if I don't wash you, you're not going to be clean. That's a servant's job. He couldn't put two and two together. And we, we talked about the whole timeline of the Passion Week, right? So he enters Jerusalem, and he has this meal, um, celebrating the Passover with his disciples. And then he he leaves that meal, probably at at midnight, and he makes his way out of uh, the the quarters that he was in, probably maybe the Essenes quarters of of Jerusalem, and and down through the deep Kidron Valley and up to the Mount of Olives, and, and there in tow in the middle of the night. And there he tries to encourage them to pray and Again, good old Peter and some of the others, you know, fall asleep while Jesus is here, you know, in this critical night before um, his whole crucifixion scene. And, and they're dozing off. So if you ever doze off in your prayer, don't feel bad, you know. That's just sort of sometimes off as, us as human, right? Lord's with you there. He, um, he wakes up and, and he starts to see... Um, the guards coming to get Jesus in the garden. And, and what does he do? He, he sort of pulls out, I don't know what, how big of it is. There's a couple other swords there. I don't know what he pulled out. It was a little stubby sword or a fisherman's knife or whatever. But he's ready to go at it. No, you can't take Jesus. And wax off Malchus's ear. Jesus, what are you doing? He picks up the ear. He puts it back on. He heals. And Jesus had told him. And it haunted him. Jesus had told him earlier, when, when Peter gave this bold declaration, I'm going to follow you to the very end. And Jesus looked at him and said, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. What? Never. So he was militant. I'm, I'm going to defend Jesus. But something started to turn within him because he realized this was a dire situation and this was scary because he had an association with Jesus and if they're doing this to Jesus what might they do to me so maybe him striking Malchus's ear was more out of a a fear of his own life as it was trying to defend Jesus so they take Jesus and they take him to Annas who was sort of the uh, um, 
he was the high priest, had been the high priest for a long time, but he was sort of like high priest emeritus because his son Caiaphas was taken over. They take him to Annas that night, and, and Annas interacts with him in the middle of the night. This is probably somewhere around the, the 3, 4 a.m. kind of dimension that Annas sends him out, Jesus out, to go see Caiaphas. And it was during this period of time that Peter has this, well, if you are right, you, uh, you identified I'm Messiah was his high point. This became his low point, just like that. Because there was a servant girl of Caiaphas that said, well, aren't you one of his followers also? I don't know him. And two other times, people said, well, didn't point out. And there was a relative of the person who he cut his ear off of, of Malchus, a relative of Malchus. Like, well, aren't you associated? I don't know him. And the third time, get out. I'm not associated with him. And Peter backs up. He backs up from a distance. And he begins to observe all that is happening to, uh, to Jesus. And as Jesus most likely is going from Annas to Caiaphas in the middle of that night, wee hours there in the morning, the cock crows. Cock crows twice. And it all dawns on him that that prophetic word that Jesus said, that Peter would deny Jesus three times before the cock crows, it comes crushing down on him. An immense immense agony, really. And grief and sorrow of his own life. He says, just like he said. I'm not strong. I'm a loser. I'm a denier. And as Jesus is making his way, he has eye contact with Peter, who's standing in the back. The low point. Have you had a low point in your life? Maybe it's something that you've done, you've known wrong, whether legally or morally. Maybe it's that you've just slacked off and really you're a sloth. That's the crass word, I guess, for it. Or, or, or maybe it's you're just, you're frantic in your mind. You can't stay steady with your thinking and your responsibilities. Or maybe something happened at work and got a terrible demotion. Or if you're in school, you kept getting F's on the same subject. But there's some sense of, I'm not worthy. I'm not worth anything. I want you to know this morning, I don't know where you're at. Whether you're here in this room or watching online, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. It's a quote from Corey Ten Boom who was in Nazi prison camps because of her faith. I don't know what pit you're in. But Jesus is a transformer. And he's a restorer. He can illuminate your life. And he can set you on a purpose. All because of the proclamation and the aftermath of Easter. But that's not where the story is with Peter, is it? He's at this low point. Now, what do you do when you're at the low point? We all have different reactions. I was thinking of, of Lion King. We've all seen Lion King, hopefully, right? It's out in 94, so I'm going to ruin the plot for you right here. <laughs> Remember when Musafa died? And Simba, it wasn't directly related to Simba's choices, but because of some of his choices, Musafa was there. And what, what happened after Musafa, his, his father died? Mufasa, sorry. I figured when I got up here, somebody would correct me if I screwed it up. And you guys are so faithful, keeping the pastor humble. Thank you. What was that name again? What did I say, Musafa? Correct. Please edit that. But what, what, what did Simba do? He took off. Took flight. Right? Now, all the story ends well, right? And 
But that's what we do a lot of times. When we hit the low or we're in sin or there's brokenness, we're ashamed and we take flight. And that's what Peter did. He took to the back. He watches it. But because of Easter, we now know Peter because things changed in his life because of the living hope. So on Easter Sunday morning, him and John were told by the women that the grave was empty. So he took off and he ran to the tomb, right? And John got there first because John was younger than Peter. And when Peter got there, he's like, I, I got to check this out. So he goes right in and he sees the grave claws laying there. Sort of, you know, and, and like the body was not just vacated out of these wrapped clothes. And then there was the napkin that was folded up there, the head covering, uh, very nice and neat. It's like, what happened here? They didn't know. They're back together in the upper room on fear, right? A fear of the, the Romans and all that was happening because you know, we didn't steal the body and, and you know, we're not associated with them. And I don't know how vocal Peter was, but maybe even amongst the, the other disciples, he had this reserved kind of uh, a feeling of, I'm, I'm just going to hide here in the back as they're talking about things. I, I don't know particularly that scene necessarily. But Jesus appears to them. Poof, he's there. He, his resurrected self appears to them. And Peter has this eyewitness. Have you ever had an awkward moment? Like, oh, that's real awkward. Now to what do I say, right? Maybe you've texted somebody something that was supposed to go to your wife, huh? Oh, ooh, what do I do? Awkward moment. Sorry, my mistake, right? This was much deeper than that, of course. Here he is, eye to eye, with the resurrected Jesus, which he did not expect. And Jesus knew what he did. Jesus was very mindful that some things needed to happen in Peter's life. It was one week after Easter, the day that we're on, right? That Jesus reappeared to them, and this time he, he did that thing with Thomas, because Thomas was doubting, unless I see his nail-pierced hands and the, and the place where the spear was in the side, I will not believe and, and then, like recorded, it's like uh, Jesus says, here, come here and see. And, and Thomas is like, whoa, my Lord and my God. I wonder what Peter did at that meeting. Sort of in the background. It's like, yeah, Lord God. Hey, give that awkward hug, maybe. Uh, good to see you, man. But you know something's wrong between the two. Jesus was mindful of this. But Jesus didn't sit in judgment of Peter. He knew that Peter was real, just like you and I, and he was on this trajectory, and he was on this journey. And what was that journey? The journey was one of illumination, restoration, transformation, and ultimately the proclamation that Peter would end up bringing. You see, Jesus will reach out to you no matter what kind of pit you're in, no matter what you have done, no matter how much you have offended God or hurt him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And so there is no one. This is the great news about our faith. You don't have to earn your stripes to get higher. There is no one outside of, of his reach and his love for you again this morning, just like Easter was celebrated seven days ago by us. Ah, so what happened to Peter? Well, scriptures say that he said, I'm going fishing. Now, there's different interpretations of what happened. And again, Jesus, it's interesting with Jesus, isn't it not? I mean, it says that scripture, there's all these different sightings of Jesus resurrected. Uh, Paul says that over 500 people saw Jesus. And you know, that Jesus appeared to the disciples. He appeared to Mary and, and some other women. And he appeared uh, to James, his brother. And you got all these sightings of Jesus. But Jesus, like, didn't do some big reveal. I was trying to think of a context of a big reveal. It's like, you know, hey, you know, here I am, I'm back, huh? He didn't do that. You know, we got these political conventions that happen sometimes, and, you know, is it on the last day that they have the presidential candidate come out, and, you know, and, and all the pomp and, and holler and accolades, and here's our candidate for president from our party. Thank you. Jesus had no big party. He had no big reveal. 
Jesus just uncannily showed up. It's like the men on the road to Emmaus we looked at last week. He, and, and their eyes then were open. It's like, oh, it's Jesus, and he's gone. And, and so we have these different sightings. So trying to put it all together in the Easter aftermath is a challenge sometimes to know sequentially what happened. But Scripture teaches us that Peter made a decision. He said, I'm going fishing. Now, what does that mean? He was bored that week. Maybe he needed to get some income that week. I, I don't know. It's been cast in two different ways. One was he says, oh, I'm, I'm just done. I'm no good for anything. I'm just going to go back going fishing, right? Or others say, well, he was a responsible person and he was going to go fishing. And, and when Peter says he was going fishing, I mean, we knew what he was saying. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going fishing. You know, it's like, uh, like uh, I know I haven't played much in a long time kind of thing, but if I was to tell my wife I'm going to uh, go play basketball, she would go, well, that's really weird. You haven't done that for a while, but I know you like the sport. You like to watch it. She would assume I'm going to go play with some people somewhere, park, whatever, a gym. But if, uh, if you remember, uh, some of us are old enough for this, uh, Michael Jordan, when he left the Bulls right after those championships, and then he had his excursion in baseball, right? And then after that, didn't really go all that great. He sat down and had a press conference, and Michael Jordan says, I'm going to play basketball. Now, you know when Michael Jordan says, I'm going to play basketball, you know he's going to go play basketball, and that's going to be his life. So I'm trying to think, was this true of Peter? When Peter said, I'm going fishing, was that, hey, I'm just going to go fishing, abiding time, or did he say, that's it, I'm done. I'll never be accepted. I'll always be known as the one that denied him. It's a career crippling moment for me. So I'm going to go back to my other career. I'm going fishing. But one of the appearances of Jesus then is recorded with him in Galilee. They were actually told to go back north from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee. Peter's from Galilee. I mean, Peter had a wife. He had a mother-in-law, we know. And probably lived really close to the shoreline. That's sort of what he did. So he says, I'm just going to go back. This whole thing's over. I can't believe he rose from the dead. That's just incredible to me. I, but he was focused on himself, knowing that he was in a place of failure. And so if you'll turn with me, you have your scriptures, to the passage in John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were there together. So there's a small contingency, really over half the contingency of the disciples. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat by night, but that night they had caught nothing. Now, one of the reasons that people believe that he actually gone back to that as a career and said, I give up, is because, you know, it's one thing to go fishing for a couple hours and then say, hey, I didn't catch anything, and, you know, I'm not, you know, that was fun, that was nice, relaxing, but it's another thing to be fishing all night. So it sort of seems like he'd gone back to it as a career. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation. Whoops, sorry. <laughs> when I had more, my page flipped. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you caught any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, he was probably about a football field length away from the disciples. The disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee. They've been fishing all night. They're weary. Does this story sound familiar to you? You need to know this. When God wants to illuminate you so you can see, and he wants to bring restoration to you so you can be healed, he comes in a very familiar kind of way sometimes. And here they are. They were first called by Jesus off of their fishing boats. Verse 7, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, Hey, it is the Lord! 
And as soon as Peter heard them say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So this incredible visual scene, and John records it meticulously for a purpose. This is an Easter aftermath. The resurrected Lord is different than the Lord Jesus when he was merely walking on this earth as a human being born in the flesh. He had a resurrected body, and so it's, it's predictable that it was maybe not as well uh, understood and defined. And they, who is this guy? And then he did something familiar, and then he called them, and then they had this tremendous haul of fish. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat. <laughs> I think this is sort of interesting. Can you picture Peter in the boat? And, and okay, you think you're going to walk on water again. Oops, that didn't work. So he, he gets through the water. He's getting to Jesus. And for some reason, he's now no longer inhibited. But, but Jesus has done what? Jesus has reached out to him. He has taken that initiative. And the Holy Spirit does this in your life. That little patter on the heart or giving maybe some circumstantial stuff around you. Jesus will reach out to you. He's calling to you. And he calls to them. And Peter starts to realize, oh, he's, he's wanting us to come to him. And, and, and this whole fishing thing. And then he jumps in the water and he leaves them in the boat. They finally get the boat up on the shoreline. And everybody else says, well, now's a good time to help, Peter. You didn't haul it in. And it records, it says, it was full of large fish the nets were when they brought them on shore. 153. Isn't that interesting? That exact number. It's like, okay, we're going to pause right now and we're going to count every personal fish. 153. But even so, many, there were so many that the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples asked him, well, who are you? They knew. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So there's a very accurate recording that there was a third time. He first appeared to them. Thomas wasn't there. Then he appeared to them with Thomas. And now he's appeared to them, the Easter aftermath, at the Sea of Galilee. And in this moment, it's the only third time that Peter maybe would have seen Jesus. And it's like, what's going to go on and going to happen here? But he, he sort of, he, he did the same thing. The same thing when he called us. And that place of familiarity drew him. And he came to Jesus. And Jesus, it's interesting, Jesus had a charcoal fire going. Now the charcoal fire was a unique kind of fire, but it related back to the time when Peter betrayed him. Weeks prior, because he was around a charcoal fire one of the times when he denied him. I don't know this man. So Jesus is setting up this beautiful opportunity of restoration. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's a strange question. Did he point out the other disciples? Do you love me more than these? Some people think that he might have said, because there's 153 fish in the net, and he'd gone back fishing, right? He'd changed his career back to what he came from. Was Jesus saying, do you love me more than all these fish? Because I called you to be a fisherman of men, right? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said it to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And he goes on to say, verily, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourselves and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. A lot's been said about Jesus saying three times, do you love me? In the Greek, the last time, the word's different, but he spoke in Aramaic, so really he said the same thing three times. Why did Jesus say that three times? Because the next time that Peter would hear the cock crow, 
he wouldn't be reminded of the three times that he denied Jesus. He'd be reminded of the three times that Jesus reached out to him and restored him. Jesus is so beautiful and tender in how he restores us to himself. Jesus didn't berate Peter when he got on shore. It's like, what were you thinking that night? I told you. How many times do we tell that to our kids? I told you so. I told you you would deny me three times. None of that. None of that. Do not ever hesitate. The Lord Jesus will treat you in the same way that he treated Peter if you have a broken relationship with him or if you've never come to him. He will kindly, tenderly, gently restore you because the aftermath of a resurrection is not a resurrection unto some dictator who controls everything, manipulates, and tries to make you feel worthless. It's the most compassionate, eternal being that you can comprehend with your small mind. That's the God who loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish and be lost, but have eternal life. This is the character and dimension of our Savior Jesus. And the aftermath of Easter was an incredible, incredible discovery, a fresh and anew, eyes opened, lives healed and restored, transformation, change that happened. We saw, see that in Peter's life. Time doesn't take afford for us to go forward with Peter's life. And he got filled with the power of the Holy Spirit right on the day of Pentecost and became the four, one of the foremost missionary people and is known by us today as not someone who was a denier of Jesus, but known as the rock, solid Cephas, Peter. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following. This was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him and he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple, who was John, would not die. He did end up living to be the only disciple that was not martyred or killed and into his older age. But Jesus did not say he would not die, that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. And then the whole gospel finishes out with this verse. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. We conclude this morning before the team comes up by giving a simple exhortation to this. Jesus will open your eyes. Jesus will heal the brokenness in your life. Jesus will make incredible changes in your personhood for the better. And Jesus will give you the purpose of proclamation until he comes again as eyewitnesses. Peter did die just a few years later. Rumor has it he was crucified but because of his humility, he says, I don't want to be crucified like my Lord and Savior. Crucify me upside down. Peter was crucified for his faith, but he was a missionary until the end of his day, until he became a martyr. What's the trajectory of the rest of your days? Are you one who's going to join in the proclamation of the eyewitness? And maybe the eyewitness is not, hey, I just read about it in Scripture and I went to church and they sang about it. But you're going to say, because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he has come in to my life. And so I exhort us, as we sing this song in conclusion, to give yourself a moment of reflection. And if there is a place that you need to bow your knee and ask for, for God's forgiveness emotionally as we stand, then do that. You can approach him. He will restore you.
And he will store you in such a kind, tender way that you find yourself transformed. I see so many people just... I keep running. They keep running because of their sin, because of their embarrassment, because of their fear, because of their questions. And I just want to say, stop. Jesus stands before you. Return to him. Or come to him for the first time. If you'd like to come to Jesus for the first time maybe today or maybe be restored, there's a prayer area over here. Someone would be more glad to pray with you. Or just let me know afterwards. I'll be glad to pray with you. Or Pastor Trey. Restoration's critical. You know, Pastor Trey's been one of the bigger blessings in my personal life, maybe for us as a church, to be you encountered. The man is our pastor of counseling, and he knows how to take brokenness in your life and help you find healing. So maybe it's a quick prayer after service, but maybe it's seeking out Trey. and Say, Trey, can, can you help me with this Jesus thing and my brokenness and my fears or my circumstances that have blown up? It's not Pastor Trey. Maybe it's just a friend. But don't run. Don't just get caught back in a routine. Yes, this is the aftermath of Easter, and it's great because we have a Savior. Let God arise within us. But there may be a moment or maybe a season that you need to let the resurrected Jesus illuminate, restore, transform and make you into a proclaimer not as an eyewitness but as a personal witness will you pray with me Jesus this morning you're here and I pray that you would reach out and touch the lives that are represented here or maybe call us to pray for our friends or our family members that are broken and running and may they find themselves back to you And may they find themselves in a place of being fully alive to you and your mission as Peter became. Lord, may we go forward from this day not hunkered down in embarrassment and guilt, but may we go forward from this day filled to the fullness of resurrection hope, living hope because of the power of the resurrection. And Lord, as we turn next week to continue looking at Peter's life as he wrote it in a letter to others. May we identify with him because we too have that living hope and we're exercising it every day. Amen. I'm going to ask the usher.